Hey, sports fans, you're tuned into the Emerald City Fandom Podcast. We're Seattle fans talking Seattle sports. We're your hosts. I'm Connor Fredrickson. And I'm Sam Hoganson. You ready to get started? Let's send it. Welcome back to the pod, folks. This is episode, is 18, right? 18? It was, yeah, 18. This is episode 18, and we are without Sam tonight, unfortunately. Uh, he had some prior engagements tonight, so he's unable to, to join, join me. But filling in, as he has uh, admirably over the past you know month plus or so that we've been doing this podcast, I guess almost two months now, Justin from Over the Top EPL. Justin, how are you doing tonight? Doing great, Connor. Uh, it's uh, we're just flying the ship without the third. Uh, with well, your second co-host. It's, it's a little weird. Yeah, it's our pilot. first time. Yeah. This is our first time recording without Sam, so it's a little weird. I'm not used to being the one to hitting the record button, so <laughs> that was already an awkward start start there. But I think I I think I did okay. I, it does say we're. Recording, I mean, it says so. recording in the top left, so, so we're. I think we're solid. We'll find out at the end, at, right? You know, hour and a half later, if we have to redo this whole thing, <laughs> I don't think we will. Um, so, so, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I was just gonna say when you were counting up episodes and you decided on eighteen, which I believe is correct. Uh, yeah, I was confused whether or not that was uh, how many years of dominance the Seahawks have had straight uh, oh, in man. the division or episodes you've recorded. Yeah. Yeah, guys, we got some some major Seahawks news to talk about today and obviously a big game against the Rams to review, but just generally, you know, Seahawks are NFC West champions once again, and obviously that's cause for celebration. So, Justin, as we always do on every episode, what are you drinking tonight? What are you celebrating with, sir? Yeah, so Samantha, as, as usual, this becomes a theme in my house, as you know, I run out of alcohol. And so digging around the fridge, uh, we had a little bit of cider. I know Sam's going to be rolling around in a Chicago grave listening to this episode. Uh, (laughs) So we have a two-town cider house uh, from our friends in Corvallis, Oregon. We have some blackberry hard cider that we're drinking tonight, Connor. Oh, well, I wonder if... Tastes like like juice, to be honest with you. Yeah, cider does sometimes. Hey, I cider has its time and place. I have nothing against cider, so... um, I've I've had I've I don't think I've had that specific one, but I've had stuff by two towns before. So, they're, what they're about solid. you? What they're are you solid. drinking? I am right now sipping on an Elysian Bifrost. It's a winter ale. Um, so Elysian, kind of local. I mean, they're definitely from Seattle, but they're definitely the, a, a bigger company at this point and a bigger bigger brewery. So I wouldn't say it's necessarily supporting local, but it is technically a. A, a brewery that was started in in seattle so um yeah it's it's pretty tasty though it's a little high on the alcohol percentage 8.3 percent so it's a little heavier <laughs> but it doesn't it doesn't really taste like it um there's no no bite or kick to it like there usually is with with higher alcohol beer so i also have some barreled manhattan to sip on after i'm done with the beer so looking forward to that all right well, plenty to talk about tonight. A lot of, a lot of nuts and bolts tonight. But 
as I said, the, the biggest news is that the, the Seahawks are NFC West champions and first time since 2016. However, it's the fifth division title for Pete Carroll in 11 years. And I wanted to start off the episode by talking about and getting kind of both of our thoughts on Pete Carroll's obviously had a, there's, there's been back and forth, you know, controversy, obviously just got an extension this year again and um, oldest coach in the league. And, you know, there's a lot of the data nerds on, on your side of things tend to have a lot of frustrations behind Pete Carroll's tactics and strategy and kind of old school mentality to the game. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you can't really argue with the results that he's that he's had. And you can certainly attribute that to the supporting cast that he's had around him, as well as having a major franchise quarterback for the majority of his tenure in Seattle with Russell Wilson. But um, other than that, like, what do you think has been kind of Pete Carroll and John Schneider's kind of key to success in a, in a parody driven league that you you typically don't see teams with this sustained success over long periods of time. It's, it's made for, you know, a team makes the Super Bowl and then struggles to make the playoffs the next year. How have, how have Pete Carroll and John Schneider been able to avoid that and been able to maintain success in your opinion, Justin? Yeah, there probably isn't one succinct answer for this, but yeah, Russell Wilson just, has to be a, has to be a big for sure. part of that. Right. I mean, being able to, especially in the beginning, have a mature, heady, competent, uh, mobile quarterback, especially in the beginning, a good offensive line, being able to pair that with a $560,000 salary and a fantastic, one of the best defenses in NFL history. So that led to it, a cap space plus really good quarterback play. Uh, We've had Russell Wilson since, and my belief, as long as you have Russell Wilson, I think like the absolute floor has to be around eight or nine wins. So, I mean, that, that's a big part of it. I think, you know, drafting was a big part of it too, especially when they were early. I think we got some really good classes early on in what, 10, 11, 12, um, 12 stands out because of Bobby Wagner and, and uh, Russell Wilson, obviously Bruce Irvin. Don't forget about Robert Turbin. Yeah. Hey, (laughs) Robert Turbin, uh, really good friends with Russell. Um, And, you know, I think Pete Carroll's, uh, you know, as much as I like to hate on Pete Carroll a little bit and his, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Conservative philosophy, I'll say. Uh, His defensive structure and game plans have been, for the most part, really successful. Uh, Teams, besides the Rams until this week, obviously, um, haven't really been able to figure it out too much. And it's been a bend don't break defense a little bit, but it holds, it holds defense or holds opposing offenses low enough to where you can give a fantastic quarterback, Russell, always a chance to win games. And so without taking so long to sum that all up, I would say Russell Wilson in the beginning, just the being able to afford it, plus the mega defense we had, and then just Pete Carroll's defensive structure. Do you have any additions to that? Because I'm sure. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll play off of kind of what you were saying. I think, and Pete's preached this for a very long time, really ever, really ever since that he's been in Seattle, but especially kind of 
since like the Super Bowl years, I'd say, is putting players in the best position for them to flourish and making things simple for them so that they can play freely and play to their best ability. And it's the whole mont. I mean, it's all those cliches and mantras that we hear every week, you know, every week's a championship game, but instilling that in your players and having that as the expectation for week in and week out is what builds this culture of winning and builds this culture of, of expectation to just, you know, be able to perform in the way that you're capable of not necessarily like, you know, you, you talk about players getting up for certain big games and that's not what Pete Carroll wants. Pete Carroll wants the level of consistency that you have week in and week out. And that to just be the expectation for you to perform at that level that you're capable of week in and week out. Um, and with that comes confidence, obviously, in these players that it, it instills that confidence and that belief. And um, I think Russell Wilson's obviously the biz- biggest example of that. So I think that's, that's obviously the, the biggest, biggest testament is, you know, obviously having a franchise quarterback like that. Um, but I, I, I also think that it, it's not always, it, it, while it's a quarterback driven league, that's not really how the Seahawks have historically won. Like it's, it's all those other pieces fitting together, um, especially on the defensive side of the ball, typically when they've been really successful and, you know, we have all these fourth and fifth rounders that kind of may, may have been overlooked by other teams flourishing in a Seahawks system because he's able to simplify his schemes. And he talks about this too, that like, he's not trying to really usually trick anyone with the way that they play defense. Like it's, it's kind of a basic scheme, but there obviously are complexities to it, but it, 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 it's, it's so that young players can get exposed to playing time early and not have to overthink things and just play freely. Cause that's when a player is really going to flourish and play to the, to their full potential. So I think it's also that, that philosophy that Pete Carroll's brought to Seattle that has led to so, so much success um, as well as, I mean, there's development and all that type of stuff. And obviously John Schneider's role in um, acquiring talent, uh, especially like kind of those mid-year trades and stuff that he's, that he's pulled, you know, and it's, it's a lot of those kind of unheralded ones, you know, the, the Justin Coleman trade like years ago for like a seventh rounder with new England, it's, you know, the Carlos Dunlap trade this year for a late round pick and a, and a backup center. Um, it's, it, it's acquiring someone like DJ Reed on this year's team. And, uh, it's just kind of those, it, it's more those unheralded, uh, players that he's that he's acquired that have made impacts on these teams and I think some of that's just that chip on the shoulder mentality a lot of the big names that he's acquired haven't tended to pan out that well you know your Percy Harvins your Jimmy Graham's Jimmy Graham I I wouldn't say that he wasn't successful like I think that story is a little bit overtold that he wasn't successful in Seattle he still put up impressive numbers but it definitely wasn't what we were expecting it to be when that trade initially happened um, but you like your Sheldon Richardson's, um, even to a lesser point, you know, Jadavion Clowney didn't end up really working out in the, in the full grand scheme of things, even Jamal Adams, we don't know yet. So that's, that may be the first one to kind of work out actually, if, if it does, but, um, 
overall, I think it's I, I think it's mostly just Pete Carroll putting his players and getting the most out of his players with his philosophy, and then John Schneider pulling those you know kind of sexy backhand deals that just um, go kind of unnoticed initially, but those players end up playing pivotal roles on on the teams that end up being successful. Yeah, I mean that and. I wonder what the Seahawks record would have been if we had all the same players, but our quarterback was going into the 2013 season, Matt Flynn or Tavares sure. Jackson or yep. yeah. your quarterback. No, like, for sure. I think, I think, I think Russell is, I'm not countering your point. I'm just thinking like, man, like, Oh, for I, I, I totally agree that I think Russell's the biggest, the biggest reason. Um, I, I think there's very little doubt about that. And I think that that would be the case on any team. If, if you have a player of Russell Wilson's caliber, um, I'm just saying that there, there, I think there's more to it than, than just Russ though. And mm-hmm. I think, I think you have to attribute some of Russ's success to Pete too. Like the, the way that he's developed as a quarterback. Um, I think you have to, I think you also have to credit Pete for part of that, not the full thing, but part of it, like it, his, his philosophies have been instilled in Russell and you can tell just by all the cliches that Russell spits out yeah, every his, time he's his, in a press conference. So his post-game com- uh, press conferences are uh, a little drab, little, ro- sure. l- little robotic. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. But I mean, it's, it's what's, it's what's led to success and um, it, you can't argue with it. And, and I, we're, we're talking about Pete Carroll's success individually right now, but obviously the Seahawks just as a franchise since 2002 have dominated the NFC West mentioned that this is fifth, uh, the fifth division title for Pete Carroll. But since 2002, when the Seahawks joined the NFC West, the Seahawks have nine division titles and the most that any other team has is four and that's the 49ers. So obviously can't argue with that. Also, we lead in Super Bowl appearances between the four teams with three. Um, we're the only one with a championship out of the four. Um, and we have 13 playoff appearances in the 18 years or whatever that is um, going, going back to th- 2002, uh, I guess, 19, 19 years, I think, technically, I guess. Um, and the next, the next closest is five playoff appearances. And that's also the Niners. So, it's not just it's not just something that Pete Carroll has hasn't has you know instilled in the Seattle community, but the Seahawks in general since the very early two thousands and since they've been a part of the NFC West have have really dominated this division as well as this conference. Um, you really can't see another team in the in the NFC that has had that level of success and consistency and continuity um, throughout, throughout that, that level of, or throughout that time period. Um, obviously you look at the AFC side of things and and the Patriots are on a whole other level with, you know, five or six rings. I think they have in probably that amount of time. So I can't remember if Brady has five or six, but a six, six. Yeah. So, um, so I mean that that's just a whole nother level. But if you're looking at the NFC specifically, I don't think you could find another team that probably puts up, has put up the same types of level of success and numbers that, that the Seahawks have over, 
over the last two two decades. For sure, yeah, um, it's it's unprecedented, and I you know I think I'm lucky enough to be young where I don't really remember the, the what would I say 2000 and before Seahawks just because I was yeah. born in 94 so a little young for those uh those sure. teams by Sean Springs and etc but uh <laughs> or even before that Joey Galloway Legends, jo- jo- John Kitna oh yeah yeah I remember John Kitna a little bit was he the quarterback when we played in Husky Stadium Sounds right. Yeah, it was either either him or Dilfer. So, but I think it was I think it was I think Dilfer was the year after. I don't know. He was the Not year right, like like between Kitna and Hasselbeck. Right. When when once Hasselbeck like started. Right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the success is unprecedented. You know, we've become spoiled a little bit mm-hmm. where we expect playoffs, and that's just with the cast and the quarterback that we have. But I mean, we're fortunate enough to have. I mean you know, rest in peace with Paul Allen and the Allen ownership group. We have a really good owner right now. We have a really good coach and Pete Carroll and we have a great quarterback. And so you have all those different things and our defense is improving and there's a bunch of different factors, but if you have those three, you expect to be a really good team in this league. Yeah, for sure. And obviously it all starts at the top with ownership, typically, especially in this league. Um, You see really poorly managed and poorly owned teams that have been floundering for years, such as the Jets and the Jags and stuff. And you take a step back and you just got to be super grateful for what Paul Allen has obviously meant to this community and brought um, not only with Seahawks football, but just in general. And obviously, uh, you know, rest in peace again, but his sister, Jody, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, has has technically taken over the reins right now. I don't know how long um that's going to last i i think it's probably something that we'll see transition probably once pete leaves time leaves town is my guess You'll, you might see a transition in ownership at that point but uh, with it in capable hands of jody allen i don't think she would ever turn it over to someone that wasn't fully capable of of being a a great owner and probably a proven owner um so that, i think the seahawks are in good hands. Um, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry too much about, about the transition post post Pete, especially since he just signed a contract extension and he's probably going to coach until he, until he's, you know, ready for the grave. So, I mean, if we were a lesser organization, say the Browns or the lions or name your terrible organization, and you're used to firing coaches, like you could easily see a terrible organization, you know, Pete Carroll kind of lucks his way into playoffs in his first year, seven and nine. He goes, he follows yeah. that up with the seven and nine seasons. Like, oh, we hired this good coach, but two we losing seasons. Fisher. Like, we gotta, we gotta get someone else. Like, yeah. a lesser organization might have done that. I mean, we paid Pete Carroll a lot of money in his contract, so those things go into it. But we've seen the Lions hire, fire like a Jim Caldwell before after making the playoffs, and mm-hmm. they weren't very good with Matt Patricia. Uh, right. We've seen the Browns fire coach after coach, so. Uh, you know, just having the longevity that Pete Carroll has, like, I doubt, I don't have it up in front of me, but I doubt any coach has been, has a longer tenure than what? Belichick? Yeah. Sean Payton? Those, yep. those two maybe, but besides mm-hmm. that, like, you know, so we're lucky to have that longevity and culture and, you know, that's evident in this team. Yeah, for sure. And, and like I mentioned earlier, this, this is a parody driven league. It's, it's, it's designed for the teams at the top to, 
go back down to the bottom and the teams at the bottom to come up to the top. And especially in the NFC, you've seen that a lot. You've seen a lot of, you know, one Super Bowl team type appearances, and then they kind of flounder for a few years, you know, such as, you know, Panthers, you know, um, the Eagles, like a lot of these, you know, kind of one hit wonder teams that um, maybe have one great season, but then they struggle to make the playoffs or kind of barely get in like the next year and need to kind of compile some draft picks to get back up to that level again. So that's how it's designed. Speaking of Connor, um, yeah. speaking of parody, it was announced that NFL is moving to a 17 game schedule next season. Right. Yeah. With 18 weeks. Mm-hmm. And so what is that 17th game? Cause typically you play as a NFC member, we would play our division twice, obviously. And then we play a different division within the conference and then the equal place. So we won the, we won the West. So we'd play the winners of the division that we don't place, right. uh, that we don't play. And then we typically played one AFC division per year. Mm-hmm. That 17th game that's added is a different AFC division, but of similar nature. So a winner of a different AFC division. So for next year, we're going to play the NFC North, the AFC South, and then the NFC East and South winner and the and AFC North winner. So uh-huh. what that comes out to, so obviously Packers, Vikings, Lions, and uh, Bears. Bears, yeah, mm-hmm. they're forgettable for some reason. Uh, <laughs> AFC South, uh, Jags, Colts, Texans, Titans, and then we played. We haven't played those teams in a while, so that'll be good. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to play the Saints, which is mm-hmm. going to be interesting. Uh, we're going to play the Steelers, which is the new game that's added. So right. the AFC North winner, and then we'll probably play Washington, assuming they can win. So interesting. But yeah, playing a new AFC team is kind of that wild card that we haven't seen before. Right. And I don't know if they've solidified as far as whether that 17th game is going to be home or away. I think it's going to alter years, I think is the last thing that I heard. So like mm-hmm. one year, it'll be a home game. One year, it'll be an away game. So you'll either have eight or nine home games or eight or nine away games during a, a full 17 game schedule. So it'll be interesting. I think, I think they'll probably slim down the preseason as my guess too. I don't know if they've made a final vote on that, but all signs point to that happening as well, whether it's going to be two or three games just depends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I've heard rumors, but nothing concrete, but if I had to bet on it, it would be two. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so. I hope so. All right. Um, well, let's talk about this Rams game, man. Um, obviously, a 20-9 to 9 victory over the Rams. And I think both of us would say that we, we definitely missed on our predictions in different ways. But we'll get to those in, in a little bit. Justin, overall, kind of like what, what were kind of some of your biggest takeaways? What were like some things that stood out to you in, in this game? Um, they can be positive or a negative, obviously a victory. So there should be more positives than negatives, but mm-hmm. if there was anything that you saw in this, in this game that, you know, we should look for in, in, in not only this next game against the Niners, but especially coming into the playoffs. Um, yeah. What were, what were some, some things that you, you saw in this game that were just interesting to you? Yeah, I mean, as I said on the on last week, whether it was I can't remember if it was on or pre-show or post-show, but yeah, I was asked like, would I be happy with a ten-point win? And I said I would. You couldn't find us someone more happy than me if we won mm-hmm. by ten points. I'd be over the moon. So I am. You know, like 
there are definitely way more positives than negatives. So definitely start with that. Um, the pass rush, I called this as like a big, a big key to the game last week. And we just hadn't seen it against the Rams in what the last six times that we played them. It was evident. We got pressure on Goff, and it's just a, you know, the second half of the season is so nice to see pressure. I know we're top 10 in the league in sacks. Last year we had 28. I think we're on 40 going into the last game of the season. I forget if we're six we're or on 43 now. 43 now. Yeah. So way ahead of last week, last year's mark. And so that's just a huge plus uh, for this team. And we're getting it from different places. Obviously, Jamal Adams has been big in the pass rush specifically Carlos Dunlap coming on uh, him coming on, allowing players like Puna Ford and Jaron Reed to have more success because they can't, the, the offensive line can't focus on as much on them. So, and then we've seen some plays from like Benson Mayoa and all these other players you are like, who, who is that? But there's right. coming up to step up. So pass rush is huge. I think the defense starting to learn and figure out Sean McVay's style uh, a lot of play action rollouts we've seen. We see we saw one where Jared Goff rolled out to the left. He missed a receiver. Jordan Brooks went up and bit on the on the short crosser than the medium. Bobby Wagner yelled at him. And then every other play after that, Jordan Brooks went and covered the right man. And Jared Goff had nowhere to go. You saw him scramble a couple times. You saw him uh, rolling right, make the, one of the worst interceptions you've ever seen in your life, throwing to th the middle of the field where Quandre Diggs was all alone. So Jared Goff is tip is, you know, I doubted this going into the game, but truly correct. And he's just so off his game and seems light years away from his Super Bowl year form. Uh, and so that that's a big part of it. But the defense was fantastic in this game. And you know, we were all texting during the game and they opened the drive, opened the game with three points. I said that was a win and what, got two more field goals the rest of the yeah. game. Um, and then obviously the interception was huge. And then the goal line stop that changed the game for sure, too. I mean, they're down by a touchdown uh, trying to go in and score get stopped by Jamal Adams making one of the best plays of the game going across flying tackling Henderson who unfortunately got injured on that play but flying across making that play and then the fourth down stop where KJ and a host of others made great plays uh, to stop Malcolm Brown so it's just a hell of a defensive performance Connor just to stay with the positives what about you yeah and I'll, let me let me back up some of your some of your points there and obviously you talked about uh, about pass rush and just getting pressure on golf in general. And he's so bad under, under pressure. Like so was, bad, Connor. That, that so was, bad. Like he, he's by far the worst quarterback in the league. I don't know what the stats are there, but I know that um, for a fact that, uh, that that is the case. And we saw it on Sunday on full display. Um, I, I don't think he's a great quarterback in general, but especially when he's off script, he's not good. Right. Um, and so the, the the Seahawks pressured Jared Goff on 24 dropbacks on Sunday, which is the most in Goff's career and is also the third most for the Seahawks under Pete Carroll um, and the most that they've had since 2015. So we talked about that pass rush really starting to develop and it's, it all started with, you know, heavy blitz packages and stuff like that, but you're seeing it in different ways. Now you're, you're, you're seeing it, sure through blitzing but we definitely have capable pass rushers you mentioned carlos dunlap that's obviously been a huge addition for this seahawks defense um mm -hmm. but it's also you're also seeing like timely sacks from someone like 
Alton Robinson and Jaron mm-hmm. Reed, like is, you know, starting to kind of come into a little bit of his 2018 form. So he had a couple sacks in this game. So I, it's coming from different areas, um, which is really nice to see. Even Puna Ford obviously is having a huge impact um, on, on the run game, but he's also, he's also getting pressure on the quarterback as well. I don't know how many pressures he had. It's not like he had a sack, but I know that he's, he was consistently in Goff's face as well. Um, so it, it, that's something that's sustainable. If, if you can find a pass rush that you're getting it from different areas, I was very uh, skeptical of the pass rush when it kind of first started to turn around. Um, and I thought that it was just because we were blitzing so, so heavily. And that obviously was leaving us kind of susceptible on the back end to big explosive plays. Um, if, if Jamal Adams or whoever else was blitzing, wasn't getting home, but they're obviously getting home enough. Um, and it's, it's also, I, I think, I think, I think it is more than just the blitzing at this point. So I, I have, I have another tweet here by Joe fan that I want to talk about. And the Seahawks ranks seventh now in the NFL with 43 sacks, like you mentioned. And that's, I mean, that's just an insane turnaround. Like the first eight games of this season, they had 12 sacks. So you're talking in seven games, they have, what is that? 31. 31 sacks. That's a, that's a great rate. I'll take that any day. Amazing. Like that, (laughs) that is the most in that time period by a large margin. I don't know who, who would be second to that. Um, and it's 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 an insane turnaround, not just from from the first eight games this year, but from last year. I mean, all of 2019, they had 28 sacks, and they already have 43, obviously, with one game to go. But that's a huge improvement. You're basically almost, you know, not quite doubling, but getting near there um, in in one season to the next. So, I think I think it all starts with Carlos Dunlap. Like that, like that's a premier and proven pass rusher that um, has uh, you, you know, you loosen up one side of that line and everything else just gets a little bit easier for everyone else um, uh, trying to rush the passer. So I think that's where it all starts, but it, you got to give some, some props to, I think everyone all around um, Ken Norton included. I think, mm-hmm. I think he's, he's done a pretty solid job with this defense over the last, you know, especially like six weeks or so. Yeah, he was very under fire, especially after that Bills game, allowing, what, 44 points or so? Yep. Um, And ever since, what, the second half of the first Rams game? Right, yep. We've been very solid. I don't think anyone scored over, what, 25 points against us, 21 points against us since Yeah. And one of, like, the key determiners that we have here, usually, Justin, of um, success as far as advanced statistics that we've talked about and you've talked about specifically is EPA. So if you can give our listeners kind of a quick summary and kind of description of what EPA is, um, what it obviously stands for, but also kind of like what it means from a statistical standpoint and how that measures success. And then I have a couple couple EPA statistics to share with it listeners after that yeah sure so sorry you want me to start with uh, just give a background on what it is yeah just kind of like a general like profile of what epa is yeah so epa on any play so they do it based off of passing plays and running plays or just total plays combined and it's expected points added so if you look at you know each play individually how much you know by doing that play are you adding to our point total and if you measure it on defense like how much do you take away and etc 
And so if you look at our defense uh, specifically over the first, I don't know, eight weeks or so, mm-hmm. we are terrible, Connor. Absolutely atrocious. If you think of like quadrants, so like bottom left being like, you know, there's obviously like these uh, other like personality surveys that go around like chaotic evil, for example. Yeah. Bottom left would be chaotic evil and the top right would be angelic, for example. <laughs> and we are... Uh, almost as bad as you could be really um so and then if you were we're right so giving teams that were by we're near the giants were by the saints who started off having a bad defense but kind of like us improved over the year but they started their turnaround a little earlier we're by the falcons we're near the jets so we had a terrible defense to start to start the year um but since week eight um, going to now, we're we're looking top ten in defense, yep. and so uh, we're near the Dolphins. We're in the company of the Buccaneers and etc. Um, the 49ers, Washington, having a really good defense. So Rams. So we're in that company, and so yep. that turnaround is just fantastic. And especially with playoffs right around the corner, I mean, defense travels as much as the cliches and everything. If we have to go to Lambo in January defense travels and so i mean that would be a tough task but it's the right time for this group to get hot yeah no doubt and i think you've seen the turnaround of this defense and going into this week i think a lot of us attributed that to the opponents that they were playing but this was the real tester you know and while the the rams offense isn't quite what it's been you know the past few years especially in their in their super bowl year with mcveigh at the helm it, it certainly is an above average offense and especially when it's clicking on all cil- cylinders. And like we've said, Sean McVay's always been able to out scheme a Pete Carroll defense and been able to take advantage of, of weaknesses. And um, it's just been a bad matchup and, you know, Pete, Pete Carroll and, and the Seahawks figured something out in this game, I think. And um, it, it attributed to them not allowing a touchdown and only allowing nine points. And this was a good test testing mark for where this defense is at. And I think they're, they're a capable defense. I don't know if I'm, I'm not ready to crown them that they're like a top five defense in this league or anything like that, but they're right. They're probably, you know, right around that 10 to 12 range, which is plenty good enough. Like, especially if this offense gets back, you know, kicking into gear again, like we know they can. So they're competitive at least right yeah whereas the first part of the season we needed shootouts to win every single game and now we don't need that to win a game which Mm -hmm. is super refreshing i mean i think if we said in the beginning of the year if we just had a league average defense this team would be really good so it appears we have even maybe a little better than that so that's fantastic i would say that they're slightly above average for sure um and maybe they're even better than that i just i need to see it against better offensive opponent like probably like over a stretch of a few weeks to really solidify that statement but proving it against the rams is a is a great first step and um definitely definitely can't can't argue with some of the results that they've had on the other side of the ball obviously the offense has struggled and struggled again on on sunday but against the best defense in the league and in the rams and obviously a defense that is given Russell Wilson fits throughout the years, um, especially just with, with their, their front line and Aaron Donald 
uh, Darren Donald leading that charge. Um, you kind of saw a tale of two halves and, you know, it, first half, I, it was six to six at halftime. Very, you know, it felt like kind of like an old school NFC West matchup kind of back in early, early uh, 2010s with, with a, a younger Pete Carroll and super young Russell Wilson felt like kind of a game against the Niners, like back in like 2012 or 2013 or something like that. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think that you saw the, the thing that I was encouraged about with this offense, especially in that second half and Russell Wilson specifically was you saw a couple drives there in both of their touchdown drives where Russell started to let it go a little bit more like he, and he was going a little like what makes Russell so special, you know, is, is all those off script plays that he's able to make and the confidence that he exhibits whenever he does that, you know, and he's looked so tentative and so afraid to pull the trigger and just not wanting to turn the ball over. And I think, you know, obviously Pete's probably been in his ear about that. Um, we've seen him turn the ball over, especially in the middle half of this year, way too often. And that's, that started to decrease, but at the same time, our offense has been a lot less explosive because he's taking less shots. You saw a couple of those shots in this game, just like it. And it wasn't a lot, like it it was specific moments, which I think is probably going to be, you're going to see like, that's what it's going to be. I think he's just going to have to like kind of pick his moments because I don't think they're going to go fully back to a pass heavy, you know, 70% of the time Russ cooking type thing, type thing going into the playoffs here is my guess, at least at this point with the way that this defense is playing, especially too. Um, but, you know, the play to David Moore where it's off, off script and Russell could, you, he could run for 20 yards and a first down on that third down play to David Moore that he completes down the sideline. Justin, I kind of want to know your thoughts on that play. Like, did, did you like him taking that shot to David Moore? On, it's, it's a way lower percentage play to throw that ball. Like, first off, um, you gain probably, you know, an extra 15 yards out of it, 15, maybe 20 yards out of it, depending on how quickly Russ pulls the trigger to, to run. He's getting at least 15 yards on that. And, like, he had, he had no one in front of him. And he's easily getting a first down. So obviously yeah. the higher, higher percentage play is, is running the ball there. Um, but the more explosive play is what he did, which was throw the ball to David Moore. Do you, do you like him taking that shot? Um, or would you rather, you know, get to the other side of third down and set up a new set of downs and start from first and 10 again on a higher percentage play than, than what happened? Yeah, I mean, I have to be honest with you. At the time when he threw that ball, I was like, "What are you doing?" I mean, mm-hmm. everyone saw the. I was too. Twenty yards of green. I mean, obviously that would have been closed down, but nobody was yeah. within twenty yards of Russell Wilson if he chose. He was to gonna pick ball. up the first down. We all know easily that at that easily. Point. Yeah. Um, I obviously like the end result. I mean, David yeah. Moore making a good catch, good throw as well from Russell. But yeah, I mean, in general, I do like the concept of shot plays. I think that was something that we had to do honestly to win games early on in the season russell had to throw and force balls and etc and we did win a lot of games and then in the middle stretch he started to turn the ball over especially i mean notably the bills game where we had to do score almost every drive to compete and that's our defense was at a totally different level at the time but 
Yeah, I mean, we took another shot. I mean, Russell's like a moon ball. I swear he threw the ball like 65, 70 yards where he overthrew Lockett uh, right. on a big play. And yeah. so I, I like I like that because it if we have the time to do those things, it keeps – I don't want to even say that keeps the defense honest because that's against the analytical nature, but it – it allows our offense to be more explosive and be more dynamic rather than sure. defenses allow like keeping the stack, the box against us or force it quick plays. It stretches the defense out and forces them to open up different things like short windows or intermediate windows or Russell allowing time to roll out and pick up six yards. So having that in our repertoire opens up more for offense. So I'm in favor of those types of plays in that moment. I was a little scared, but it worked out. Yeah, for sure. And we all want to see Russell hitting timely plays, you know, where and everything is kind of on script and that means that Shotty's calling plays well, you know, but sure. what makes Russell Wilson so unique and so great is those off the script plays. And it's especially when he's taking those shots kind of when you're not expecting him to, or when, when maybe you don't even agree with it. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm going back to years of this, you know, I mean, obviously, the the two deep balls to curse to get the Seahawks into Super Bowls back in 2013 and 2014 were shot plays um, and uh, you know it good coverage on both of those both of those plays but they're plays that ended up with the Seahawks in the Super Bowl and it's it's those types of plays that make Russell Wilson great and um, I think it. The, that's when that's when Russell's at his best as well. And if you're seeing him do that, that means he's in the zone. And that's that's what I want to see. Um, Russell was an exhibit going into the playoffs, especially because if he's if he's taking those shots, you know that good stuff is happening. There's obviously like bad stuff that can happen with that too. You know, you've seen it with interceptions and stuff, especially this year. Um, but when when he's trusting his players and he's kind of in just that Russell Wilson mode um he's at his best and and on that drive not only was it the David Moore completion but you know the off script dump off to Dunlap or to uh sorry Hyde Carlos Hyde um I was thinking Carlos and then I said Dunlap instead of Hyde but the dump off to Carlos Hyde and he goes 20 yards or whatever on that was on another third down um and then the super off script touchdown run four yard touchdown run that russell has too was that those those are the plays that make russell great and they're not it's really hard to game plan for those because they're so off script and uh it, it's it's not what a lot of you know the again analytics people would like to see because you want to see a more kind of you know uh in rhythm offense and offense that's that's a little bit more um not predictable i guess but it the plays are designed to go where they need to go and that's that's like what you see from your offense and russell wilson is not that <laughs> like he, it's, it's in those off the script you know magician moments that that that's where he's made his name so I think we saw a little bit of that in this game and we haven't seen that in a few weeks. So that was, that was promising for me to see. Um, I know that we, I, I do want to get back to the defense. Um, one thing I forgot to mention, and you, you did mention it, I guess, super briefly, 
but that fourth go four, fourth uh uh four down goal line stand was that sequence like is iconic in this year and could be considered the sequence of of this season um as far as just a game changing game changing and and season changing moment and that's that's a championship team and if anything the seahawks defense has come up clutch when it's needed to most like for the most part this year even going back to early earlier in the season but they've gotten you know a clutch sack when they've need, needed to you know you go back to the, even the new england game early in the year and they got a clutch forward fourth down stop against cam newton in in that game as well um so the, the timely plays that this this defense has made has been something that has been consistent throughout this year but none of none of what they've done up to this point even compares at all to what they accomplished with that 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 goal line stand that they had on sunday against the rams um so i you might have something else to say about that justin but i know you have some defensive call outs here as well um but i just thought that 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 was probably the sequence of the game above all else in my opinion oh it has to be i mean that's a season defining highlight reel type of stand i mean you can think of the goal line stands that one our one, what was it, 2016 away at the Patriots where we mm -hmm. had a goal line stand to mm -hmm. beat them. And so those are things teams will remember and get motivated by. And it was awesome. I mean, after you hold them, you know, we punt the ball because we're down on our one. They go back and get a field goal. But that's it. I mean, you're 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 turning them away from, you know, net four points right there, which was the game. Right. Really. I mean, that that made it a two possession game at the end versus a one. Right. So that sealed it for us. And that was a pivotal, pivotal, most important moment in the game, I'm sure. So, yeah, that totally agree with you there. And then defensive callouts. I mean, so many. I mean, Bobby Wagner continues to perform at a high level. As we were texting, uh, we all said it on the text thread. But, I mean, so glad that K.J. Wright is back on this team this year. I know there was a lot of chatter. And, you know, at some point in the offseason, it was thought, like, oh, he's gone. Like, we're not going to sign him. But, man, are we glad to have him back as veteran presence, his savviness, and just his physical play too. It's been way might better be his, than I think we expected. Yeah. This might be his best year. Like yeah. I, I think, I think you could arguably say this is his best year in the league. And arguably deserved a pro bowl to be honest. Yep. yep. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he was fantastic. And then Jamal Adams had a really good game. Might've been his, one of his better games covering uh, his speed and just awareness. I think, I know he didn't get to the quarterback this game, but his overall safety play had to be one of his better games in a Seahawks uniform. He was so physical too, especially on that goal line stand. I mean, you talk about players on that goal line stand and two of them, three, three of them really made a huge impact that you just talked about. And Jamal obviously made the super clutch tackle to set up the first and goal. Mm -hmm. Um, and he was he was blitzing off the edge and just all out sprint trying to catch the running back and tackles him at the two to set up first and goal and that guy I mean Daryl Henderson had a clear path to the end zone if Jamal doesn't get there so um, touchdown saving tackle there and then uh, first down I think you had the Jordan Brooks just completely blow up that play and they're back at like the four yard line after that or something like that. It was like a two yard loss. So mm -hmm. that, that was a huge play. And then I think it was on the second down that Jamal Adams 
again had a touchdown saving tackle he's all alone in space right malcolm brown it was wide open hole yep and he hits it and gets off a block i think too right before that and and gets that tackle so uh, those are just like unheralded plays that you don't really even see live you have to go back and watch them and they also don't really show up in a stat sheet for how much they're worth as far as those tackles go so jamal adams had again like justin said one of his better games not only from you know he had a decent statistical game but it was really just like the timely moments that he was coming up and his overall physical play really stood out in this game and then you mentioned kj Wright. i think it was on the third the third down was the sneak right that yeah like quote unquote fumbled or whatever fumbled but yeah right um and then it was the fourth down that KJ and um, and Jordan Brooks blew up that play. Mm-hmm. KJ had had a blocker sitting in the running back's lap, and then Jordan Brooks got free and and made the tackle. Um, so it, it, like you said, awesome to see KJ back, but also really good to see Jordan Brooks really coming into his own. He only got twenty eight snaps in this game, but he had eight tackles. So. It, and I think a lot of that's just like they're they're playing them situationally. I mean, you obviously have to have Bobby Wagner on the field. And if you're going with two linebackers, your next linebacker still is KJ at this point. Like we've talked about him a lot. He's playing that well. Like he's he's borderline Pro Bowl level mm-hmm. right now. But in in the packages and the schemes that Jordan Brooks is getting on the field, he is making plays. And that's really good to see for our future at that position. Um, and, you know, I, I, I still... I, I can't say that he's living up to the first round hype yet, but you're seeing glimpses of, uh, glimpses of his playmaking ability. And we, the Seahawks can't afford for like one of these first rounders to like amount to nothing again. You know, Jordan Brooks needs to pan out. Um, yeah. PFF came out with uh, like the highest rated coverage linebackers of the night. He was really good in coverage. Yeah. Good, good call out there. He was really good in coverage in this game. He was, but I want to find the stat. Where was it? Um, was it coverage? Let me just give me one second. I'm pulling it up. No worries. But essentially, he was 97th of 99 eligible. Uh, let me get the stat here. Um, oh, so it's uh, in PFF's coverage grade mm-hmm. um, of eligible linebackers that are 99 of them. Jordan Brooks was 97. So oh, so bad, bad, terrible. Gotcha. Um, he was good in coverage this game, though. Yeah, actually, minus that one play that Bobby Wagner yelled at him, and after that, he was exactly where he needed to be. But right. this is overall season, so I think it's up from here. I mean, he's definitely shown the athletic ability to be good. I think it's just learning under Bobby and yep. having one full season. I mean, he's still a rookie. I mean, there's and chance. getting his confidence up, right? right? I mean, he's he hasn't played that much, so um, right. But he's and, he's he's learning under two of the best to wear Seahawks uniform so mm-hmm. he couldn't uh, be but, in a better position but a lot of uh, a lot of uh, folks were really mad that we didn't take Patrick Queen if you remember from the draft the Ravens selected him right after right. we selected Jordan Brooks and he's number 98 right under Jordan yeah, Brooks I was gonna so. say I think I think I saw that stat earlier yeah and yeah so in PFF so yeah not I, not great but I did like what I see saw from Jordan Brooks in this game yeah. And so hopefully we see more of that. Yeah. He's, he's playing physical. He's playing confident and he's playing fast, which was kind of like what his game was all about and what Pete Carroll loves in, in his players. So um, finally starting to see that. And he was a little more tentative earlier in the year. Understandably, he's a rookie, kind of his first first time out there. But, it, you know, this is this is big boy football here at this point of the year. So we we're going to need 
we're going to need Jordan Brooks to play well. Um, especially, you know, obviously Bruce Irvin went down early. So Jordan Brooks goes, gets those snaps and he's, he's really starting to develop into, into a pretty solid player for us. So I'm excited to see, see what, what happens not only next week against the Niners, but in the playoffs and see how he performs. Looking back at our predictions, Connor, just moving on. Yeah. I, uh, I definitely got this one wrong. I'm eating crow. <laughs> I told you, I hope I'm eating crow. Uh, I am eating crow. And You're it's not eating crow, though. The offense kind of did exactly what I expected, to be yep. honest, though. Um, you know, the Rams definitely got pressure on us. Aaron, Don- Aaron Donald is a beast. Obviously, we had to double him. Brockers and others got home. The one time that we didn't double Donald, he got in the backfield, and I swear less Jordan than a Simmons had no chance. <laughs> oh, my God. Poor guy was left on an island against Aaron Donald, and he just, like, <laughs> yeah shoved him to the side real quick yeah i mean it's pure strength on that guy but i mean if we had hit uh russell early i think it was the first half had a wide open touchdown on the left hand side that he overthrew uh obviously hollister yep. right obvious on the replay i wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt because of the the shove or whatever but it was a, just a terrible miss no, so it was it was a miss it was a miss. Uh, so if we got that, it would be really close to the points I predicted. But the Rams, my God, I was totally wrong on that aspect. I mean, the Seahawks got way more pressure than I thought they would. Goff looked way worse than I thought he would. Um, and, man, their offense is sputtering and looking for life. And they might not even have Goff against the Cardinals, which is right. a fascinating storyline in itself. Yeah, and we'll talk about that. But, yeah, I mean, I think I think not having Cam Akers is, again, a very underlying – storyline to this that's a weird way of saying that i feel like that's wrong i get what you're saying though yeah but a very you know understated storyline in in this game and in this matchup you know i i talked about it a little bit in our preview episode that they were going to be without cam Akers, their top running back and i think i i think you Maybe it doesn't make a difference in this game, but certainly certainly their offense was a little bit more explosive with with Cam Akers in the backfield. And he he was a big big part of their offense's success in recent weeks. Um, he was really starting to to play really well and obviously suffered a high ankle sprain in that Jets game previous of of the matchup against the Seahawks. And um you know, there's just a different level of explosion between Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson, the backup. And then obviously he goes down after the, um, the tackle by Jamal Adams at the, at the two yard line and Malcolm Brown, who I don't think is really that much worse than Daryl Henderson comes in and plays kind of mop up duty. But um, the thing that I, that I loved about, about this game though, Justin, and I'll get to my prediction here in a second, but is the fact of like, not only did we get pressure on Goff, but we controlled their like flow of offense. As Mm -hmm. far as, you know, a lot of the bootlegs, we weren't allowing Goff to get all the way out in space um, to be able to see. And we knew that if he did get out in space, he wasn't going to run the ball. So we were staying back and staying covered and staying disciplined on our guys. Like Jared Goff is like, Pardon my major, but he's a fucking pussy. <laughs> See, that's what I thought about Josh Rosen coming out of college. They're but... the same player. They're, they are the same player. <laughs> they are literally the same player. Jared Goff just got put in a way better position than Josh Rosen did. 
That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he looked terrible this game. No he, doubt. I mean, one of the worst afraid, he's ever He's looked. afraid to run. And I don't know if that's like, like everyone shows the highlight of him rolling out to the left his rookie year back when, you know, we kind of had scarce parts of the LOB still together and Richard Sherman knocked him out of bounds pretty hard. And mm. he kind of fumbled the ball out of bounds at like, after like a 10 yard run or something like that. And, um, people people say that that's kind of the reason like or like the defining moment of jared goff not taking off to run anymore but like i I don't know what it is like but he's in his own head when he's out in space and he could pick up an easy five to ten yards he'd rather throw an interception to quandary Diggs. oh and i i don't get it man it's it i i'm so glad i'm not a rams fan right now because you're you're watching that guy for another two years like yeah you're, you're not getting out of that contract at this point unless you want to draft someone and you know have 30 mil sitting on the bench so yeah that was uh it was a terrible performance i mean back to back really against the jets and the seahawks jets surprisingly got a lot of pressure uh against the against jared goff and so did we yep. and we just see what that does and you know i had mentioned last last week's episode that when we get pressure on Jared Goff, that's going to be good things. But also Jared Goff has torched us and got 300 plus yards seemingly almost every game in the past six games. But, you know, back to back weeks against the Jets and now us of around 209 against the Jets and 230, what was it? 234 against us. So it's just, it's just pitiful and around, I mean, barely over 50% completion percentage too for Jared Goff. So yeah. It's bad. And now, I mean, he was injured in the fourth quarter, but he was struggling before that. I don't want to use that as the total excuse. Like, obviously yeah. that doesn't help him, but he was struggling much before that. No, too. I don't think, I don't think that had any impact on the game whatsoever, but it certainly didn't help. So going back to my prediction though, I obviously, Sam and I both saw it a little bit more the same, the same way as far as we thought the offenses were going to break out in this game and we were dumb. <laughs> um, and that didn't happen. Uh, I, I had predicted a 35 to 31 game. Um, and I'm happy to, I, I would, I would almost like rather it be what it ended up being though, you know, like that the defense proves themselves against an offense that have, has given them problems in the past. Again, not quite to the elite level that they have been in previous years, but still a solid offense, but definitely better than what we've been facing in, in prior weeks mm-hmm. um, to see them prove them, prove, prove that against, against that type of offense is a very promising storyline going into, into the playoffs. And Justin, you mentioned earlier, defense tends to win games, especially when it comes playoff time. Um, but yeah, I, the offense against sputtered and uh, again, in a, in against a very good defensive team, uh, if not arguably the best, best defensive, uh, defensive side of the ball in, in football. So I uh, I definitely missed on that, and I think I, honestly I think Sam was probably the closest. He had a thirty-one mm-hmm. to twenty-one game, if I'm remembering correctly, and uh, obviously didn't score that many points in this game. But he he called a 10-11 point game, and the Seahawks coming out on top with a, a resounding victory. And you know it didn't really become resounding until four minutes to go. But at the same time, I felt like the Seahawks had control of that game for the majority of it, even in the first half when it was six to six and the Rams were winning time of possession, but I just thought that we looked like the better team um, and that we were capable of, of putting a drive together. So 
obviously thrilled with the result 20 to nine victory over the Rams. There's definitely stuff to improve. We've talked a lot of, a lot of positives here, Justin. And like, what are, what are some of the things that you want to see going forward though? And especially if they're going to have some success in the playoffs, um, what are some things that they have to get better? I think it's probably mostly on the offensive side of the ball. If we're going to talk about anything, but if you have, anything i guess to talk about that they that they that you are maybe concerned about going forward yeah i mean it has to be the offensive side of the ball um just some more explosive plays just some of the more passing ability we showed in the beginning of the season um you know we have a lot of teams adjusting where they're not letting us get over the top so they're playing right. more too deep safety against us which has worked but let's get the ball to dk metcalf a little more i mean we started to do that in this game uh, starting in the second quarter some slants to him and some shorter routes his so I first think target a... can't be in the second quarter though like, no, we, no, no, like no 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 that can't be it like that's not that's not where this offense is best Right. Yeah, let's let's open that door way earlier. The short to intermediate routes that opens it up, and then the defense has to stop it. Because if we, right. you know, what worked against us so long that dinking and dunking, I think that can work against other teams on how they're playing us. And then, I don't know. I'm going to ask you a question. Does Tyler Lockett seem a little injured to you? It's been something that's been talked about in Seahawks Twitter, especially. Um, not like a bunch of the regular beat and media writers but like you know kind of the the next tier of of mm -hmm. you know bloggers fans. and such you know, <laughs> yeah borderline yeah. to seahawks fans but like you know like the more prominent uh twitter twitter folks of of seahawks twitter um yeah they they've talked about how how locket has largely disappeared um and i guess i i just had this up you know i mean you he went off for what 200 yards in that that game against the Cardinals earlier in the year mm -hmm. um, when we lost in overtime, just an incredible game. Like one of the best games that you would see you've ever seen from a Seahawks receiver. And then he's led the team in receiving two times since then. And let me just pull him up here. My computer's being kind of slow, but um, I mean, it's, it's mostly been the DK Metcalf show since then, as far as, as receiving goes, uh, I mean, he uh, he has still a respectable year here. I mean, overall, if you're looking at this, 88 receptions for 964 yards and eight touchdowns, like you would take that from Tyler Lockett year in and year out. But you also look at that he had 200 yards in that one game, and that's a f like more than a fifth of his total right now, and that's just in one game. So he's been uh, – since then, he's been very, very quiet. Um yeah, I mean, you're looking at the last five games here at Philly. He had uh, three receptions on four targets for 23 yards. Uh, versus the Giants, he had six receptions uh, on nine targets for 63 yards. Uh, the Jets, he had five receptions for five, or sorry, five receptions on five targets for 52 yards. Um, at Washington, four receptions on seven targets for 34 yards. And then this last game against the Rams, three receptions on five targets for 44 yards. Like he's, he's doing stuff between the twenties, but he's not getting those touchdowns that we saw in the first half of the year. Um, and you're just not seeing him get open in those like zone soft, like soft zone spaces that he's usually so known for. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't know if it's a schematics thing. I don't know if 
Shadi's just not calling his number as much as like he has in the past. And they're trying to like maybe force a play to DK that ends up not being there because they're double covering him. And then Lockett's like the second or third read and it ends the play ends up blowing up on itself or something like that. I don't know what it is. Um, but yeah, I mean, Lockett for sure has to be way more a part of this offense as well for it to, for it to flourish and for it to, for us to do anything in the playoffs. Uh, we need to see both DK and, and Tyler not necessarily get back to the levels that they were at those first five or six weeks, but just, you know, each have, you know, five or six receptions for 80 some yards. Like that's, that's the type of receivers that they are and what we expect from them. And obviously I haven't seen a lot of those, you know, like crazy sideline catches from Tyler Lockett that like he was like kind of becoming, you know, the next Doug Baldwin kind of last year with um, we haven't seen a lot of that. So he may be injured. I, I, I think a lot of Seahawks Twitter seems to think that that might be the case. Um, but I'm also wondering if it just might be a schematics thing as well. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I've been wondering that I would like to see him a little more involved. The numbers you just read, well, not bad by any stretch. It's just not that Tyler Lockett we expect. So I no, want to see not... more of him involved. I Did he make the Pro Bowl? I don't think so. No, 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 okay. no, no, no. But I mean, he's a borderline Pro Bowl receiver and those are not Pro Bowl numbers. Like mm-hmm. that's not, that's not what you expect from a receiver of Tyler Lockett's caliber. So so that wraps it up. I mean, our offense isn't bad and we've, you know, obviously since week nine, it hasn't been great, but you know, I think just getting back to the passing game involving DK Metcalf and our playmakers a little more, obviously Chris Carson, we know he's good, but yep. involving Metcalf earlier and incorporating a little more Tyler Lockett. And I think our offense can be really good. So I don't think it's anything major, but with, you know, our defensive improvement improvements, I would say that would be the main thing. Yeah. I like it. I, I think you're, you're right on. I mean, we just need to see me see more explosion. Um, and especially earlier in the game from this offense. Can I add one more thing real quick? Yeah, no, go for it. Russell needs to hit his fucking receivers too. You're right. We've and seen a little bit of that being off. Uh, well, Justin, so. might I counter that though? Like I, I love that the game clinching, not game winning, but game clinching touchdown to Hollister was on the exact same route that he missed earlier in the this game. Is true. This is true. That little wheel route to the tight end has been the, like – they they skip they scheme that for the Rams because that's I don't know if you remember the first game, but Russell tried hitting that to Will Disley in the first game, and it ended in an interception. That was the that was whenever it was a seventeen to ten game and they were driving, and it was I think it was off of like a Jamal Adams fumble, and waited way too long to throw the ball. And had started to like kind of like take off a little bit, but then threw across his body like at the last second to try to huck it to Disley, who at that point was double covered. Mm-hmm. When he could have taken off not only for the first down, but ob- almost like possibly a touchdown. So again, you look at the the you know ups and downs and positives and negatives of Russell trying to make a play when something else might be there. Um, and that was obviously a negative of it, but, um, that wheel route by, by the tight end has been something that they've schemed against the Rams, obviously, because we've seen it at least three, but probably more than that, even times in the last two matchups. Um, and it's, it's been something that the Rams have 
have not covered well um, for the most part. And, you know, we've only seen it turn into a touchdown once in that scenario, but, um, but it could have been, could have easily been two. And, you know, if Russell takes off for a touchdown could have been three, but obviously not, not all three would be throwing to the tight end. Um, I do want to just list off, you know, the Russian statistics real quick in this game before we move on to some, some playoff scenarios here and kind of move on to, the next game as well against the Niners because Sam, you know, talks about the rushing so much and yes, got to feed, got to feed Chris Carson. Um, he had 16 carries for 69 yards. You know, I, I think that's kind of what you want from him, you know, anywhere from that 15 to 20 range is that sweet spot, I think. And, you know, I I'd say probably 70 plus is probably what you should probably expect from him with those touches week in and week out. I think he's probably closer to that usually. Um, one thing that we didn't really see in this game too, is like, is Carson out of the backfield very much. Like he, he had a couple check down routes, mm-hmm. but usually they kind of designed some plays for him on some like wheel twi- type routes also to the outside. So I'd like to see a little bit more of that again. I think that's such an underappreciated part of Carson's game is um, how, how he's able to run those wheel, wheel routes, like so kind of with such savviness that like the defenders don't really pay attention to him that much. And then he's able to just turn it on right when he gets the ball and make some guys miss in space. So I'd like to see that going forward a little bit as well for the Seahawks offense. But yeah, let's talk some playoff scenarios here. Um, and then we'll just briefly talk about kind of like what, what we expect from this game against the Niners. Um, but I know I, I wanted you to you to kind of lead this segment here, Justin. Yeah. You've been playing a lot with this playoff scenario predictor thing. Um, and there's a lot of a lot of unknown at this point. I mean, it all comes down to week 17. And I feel like we had way better of an idea of what was going to happen going into week 16 than now we do going into week 17. And I still think that the most likely matchup is us at home against the Rams as a three seed against a six seed. But there's a lot of unknown and a lot of, you know, that the way that this week 16 results panned out, there's some things that could happen that could completely shake up what, what happens with the Seahawks and and their potential first round matchup if they even have one. Yeah. So I think, I think the obvious scenarios here is if we don't beat the 49ers, we are the three seed and we were playing the six seed. So we'll get rid of the fun. That's the boring part in the beginning. So we need to beat the 49ers and to wish, to wish for anything else other than a three seed. Yes. And if uh, we don't beat CJ Beathard and the mighty 49ers, then we have other conversations to have. But yes, <laughs> assuming we go down to Arizona, yes, Arizona, and beat the 49ers, right. then some fun things start to happen. So right now, currently as it stands in the NFC, we have the Packers at the one seed, the Saints is the two, the Seahawks is the three, Washington four, Tampa Bay, number five, clinching a playoff spot. And then we have the Rams and the mighty Chicago Bears at number seven right now. And you will notice the Cardinals right now on the outside looking in. And all year they've been in. And so that's uh, disappointing for them, but not necessarily mad about that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so going down the list right now, Packers have the first round bye. Obviously, there are only one first round bye as opposed to two, as we've seen in every other NFL, NFL season going back in recent history. So 
If the Packers win against the Bears, they clinch a first-round bye. Now, if they lose against the Bears, that opens a lot of different things for the Seahawks. So if the Packers lose and the Seahawks win, the Seahawks are at least guaranteed a two-seed by having the tiebreaker against the Packers. Now, if the Saints lose as well, and the Packers lose, so this Packers lose at, uh, away at Chicago, the Saints lose away at Carolina, the Seahawks win against the 49ers, the Seahawks are the one seed, we can take a nap next weekend, not have to worry, and watch all the other games unfold. Now, that is unlikely, but that is the Seahawks' path yep. to a one seed. Yep. If the Packers lose the Saints win and the Seahawks win, the Saints will then be the one seed. The Seahawks will be the two seed and the Packers will then be the three seed. So they would drop from the one to the three uh, based off the tiebreakers. The Saints beat us on tiebreaker on conference record and then we own it against the Packers. So a lot of different, we can end up at three, two, or one. If the Saints win, we cannot get the first round bye. Yep. On, on the other side of the bracket, we have some fascinating things happening. So Chicago obviously has to beat the Packers, which would benefit the Seahawks a lot in having the higher seed. Uh, but if the Packers beat Chicago, Chicago can still make the playoffs if the Rams win. So the Rams play the Cardinals head-to-head uh, in L.A. Uh, but interesting storyline going into this game. It looks like Super Jared Goff is going to be out. Mm-hmm. And uh, forget me, forgive me, because I didn't know this before <laughs> this week, but I think the Rams, uh, is it John Wolford, Connor? Yes. Is their bat is, well, potentially their starting quarterback actually will be there's confirmed to be their starting quarterback, I believe Yes. for Sunday. And we don't know Kyler Murray's status in Arizona either. Right. So we have some fascinating developments in this game. Cooper Cup also looks like he's going to be out with COVID-related issues, uh, as well as, I think, another player on the Rams. So fascinating storylines here to watch. So if the Rams lose, the Cardinals win, and the Bears somehow you know, have the upset, beat the Packers, then the Cardinals are the six and the Bears are the seven, Connor. And if that's the case, if the Rams lose, the Bears lose oh i'm sorry did i get that wrong the bears win and the bears cardinals win. win yep uh the seahawks would jump at least to the two and right. we would play uh, the bears the, the bears cardinals no you said the cardinals would be the six right or would the bears be the six the bears have this tiebreaker over the cardinals okay this so is all play, confusing so let me cardinals. let me restate that so You're if right. the cardinals win the bears win and the seahawks win the seahawks are guaranteed at least the two uh, not factoring the Saints game. Right. And we would play the Cardinals in the 2-7 matchup. Okay. And now in the most likely scenario, say we're the three, the, the, the Packers win, the, uh, the Saints win, we are at the three. And so if that's the case, the Bears are down. Uh, they're at, the, at most the seven seed. So if the Rams win, we play the Rams. Yep. And the sixth spot. Which, you know, after this week, we play him in Seattle. Can't scare you. Jared Goff is going to come off an injury. We don't know Cooper Cup's status. We just beat him two weeks prior. So doesn't scare you as much as it did before this game, for sure. Right. If the Cardinals win, we would play um, 
if and the Bears lose, the Rams would be the seven seed and the Cardinals would be the six seed, and we would be hosting Arizona at home. Right. So what I didn't mention in this picture is the Buccaneers. Mm-hmm. Um, the Buccaneers, all they have to do is beat Atlanta and they are locked into the five seed and they have every motivation to play hard in that game because that five seed gets to play the terrible NFC East winner, Connor. Yep. And I I think that's what they're going to want. I would assume so because otherwise they're probably coming to Seattle. So yes. So you would, yes. uh, Which I'm getting to that. So if they go and lose somehow in Atlanta and the Rams beat the Cardinals, the Rams are jumping up to the five Connor Mm -hmm. and Tampa Bay would jump down or fall down to number six and play Seattle, which I do not want. I think that's as, as much as they don't want it. I don't want it either. No, I don't want that at all. I mean, a mad Tampa Bay, Tom Brady coming in the playoffs. I don't I don't want anything to do with that. No, thank you. Give me an injured Rams or a Cardinals team I know is inferior or Bears yeah. that have no – I don't trust Mitch Trubisky. Right. Well, in the scenarios that you just mentioned, Justin, I don't I think there's a scenario that we can play the Bears. Uh, that's a great call-out. Um, because – There is a scenario. Okay. Go ahead. Um, I believe. So bear with me for a second. So Go ahead. the Bears win. Okay. The Rams win. Okay. And the Saints win. Okay. So we're so a the two Saints seed. Saints jumped a one. We and jumped we're playing a two. A seven and play the seven and the, seed. And Bears. the Bears are the seven. Okay. All right. Yes. You're right. Um, I see that as unlikely. Um, I mean, it's likely enough, but I don't think I don't see that as the most likely scenario. Yeah. Yeah. But it is possible. We play the Bears at the two and we host the seven, which I wouldn't be mad about that. I mean, it's better than the situation we're in currently. Right. So, I mean, either no matter how this goes, we're likely to be either the two or three seed, Mm -hmm. I would say, is the most likely. Um, And so. And. Off of that, I'd say the most likely we're either going to play division opponents opponents in the Rams or the Cardinals. So which one of those do you do you prefer? Because whether or not we're the two or three seed, we're probably playing the Saints in the second round, mm-hmm. right? Because they're they're either going to be the two or the three seed at that point too. I think they're they're eliminated from the one seed. It's either us or the Packers at this point. I think because no of tiebreakers. So- the Packers lose, uh-huh. and we and the Saints win. The Saints have the tiebreaker on us. I see. Okay, gotcha. Because so we would they be have a two, two seed. losses. We'd be the two the seed in that in that in that scenario, and they'd be the one. Mm-hmm. Okay. My my per, my preference, in case that matters to anyone listening, mm. at this point with the health of teams, like context here. We play the Rams at home as a three or two seed. I don't really care. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm way less scared of them, especially if they don't have Jared Goff um, and if they don't have Cam Akers and possibly even Co- Cooper Cup at that point. We don't know mm-hmm. his status. We don't know if he has COVID or if it's contact tracing at this point. If he has COVID, he's I think he's out for that first playoff game at this point based Likely. on the rules. So 
Um, so we'll see what happens there. But if if he's out, I mean, he's one of the few guys that gave us trouble on Sunday, um, especially on third down. So my first my my first round matchup would preference would probably be the Rams. Bears maybe a close second. Like I mean, they've played well over the past few games, uh, but I think. I think the Rams are more talented, so I you could even make an argument that I prefer the Bears. But with the health of the Rams, I will say the Rams. Second second matchup, I don't really care whether it's in Seattle or not, especially this year. Mm-hmm. So I'm fine with being a three seed, going to New Orleans. It's in a dome. In that dome. Yeah, I mean Russell Wilson indoors. I don't. He's I great. Don't hate. He's yeah. fantastic. Like. I like that matchup where it starts getting interesting is if we were to win that divisional game and, you know, I mean, if, if Tampa Bay, so the scenario that I saw on, I think I saw someone tweet about this earlier. There's a scenario that we host the NFC championship, even as a three seed. Mm -hmm. And that's if the, um, so the saints win as a two seed, um, against let's say the Cardinals or the Bears, whatever, it doesn't matter. So they win. And then Tampa Bay is the five seed. They upset the Packers mm-hmm. and Lambeau, which I I mean Tampa I mean, they Bay, thumped them earlier yeah, this season. They did. And that was in Tampa Bay. So I don't know if I don't know if that would happen in Lambeau. Probably not. But I think it's a I think that's one of the tougher matchups just like from a like a you know pound for pound perspective for the packers in in a se- in a second round so like let's say Tampa Bay beats whoever the NFC East winner is and then they upset Green Bay then that would put the NFC championship in Seattle against Tampa Bay and that i think is our path to super bowl if that happens i while I want to beat the Packers in Lambeau, that's not a recipe for us making the Super Bowl. <laughs> so what I'm hoping is that I don't care whether we're the two or three seed, but the key is for Tampa Bay to get through that first round and then upset the Packers. Because whoever comes out of the NFC, it's just not upsetting the Packers in the divisional round. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's all down to Tampa Bay in my eyes, as far as our path to the Super Bowl, if we're aspiring to that at this point. So, Connor, I have a question for you then. Um, Say the Packers lose and the Saints win and the Seahawks win. So that means we are the two seed. Yep. And and you're saying we're hosting the Packers? We host the Packers in the divisional round. How do you feel about that game? I think that's a... God, I feel better about it than than if it's at Lambeau. Um, I agree. Well, I mean, obviously, just all because of weather at this point, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, but I, I even like I, I like Russell in a dome at this time of year than even in a rainy Seattle at that time of year as well, right? Like, I mean, he's not performed well in the rain as long as he's been in seattle for 
eight or nine years, he's not performed that well when it's been super wet out. And um, the one caveat that you'll say to that is, you know, like he's, he went to Wisconsin for his last year and he's mm-hmm. familiar with that, you know, that environment. Um, but we've never performed well in, in Lambeau, at least in recent memory. Um, I think we have like maybe one win there in like the last two decades or something like that. So it's, it's a house of horrors for anyone in the playoffs, but um, especially the Seahawks. So I think however we can avoid going to Lambeau is, is what I want. So um, if, yeah, I mean, if we play the Packers in the divisional round at home, I think we got a shot. I think, I think it's a toss up game. I think what I like Connor is if I had my preferred scenario as probably, I mean, my one seat is my preferred, but my preferred matchup sure. scenario yeah. is the Saints losing this weekend at Carolina. Mm-hmm. The Green Bay and Seattle take care of business, for example. Okay. Uh, so that so means we're three we, seeds to you, right? Still we right? are a two seed because the Saints would then fall to the three because we they just are 11 I thought, five. I thought we didn't have a map. Uh, I thought we didn't have a head-to-head tiebreaker against the Saints. Though. We I don't. Was... They would be eleven and five, and we'd be twelve and four. Oh, are you sure? Yeah, because they're ele- we're both eleven and four. Green oh. Bay is twelve and three. For some reason, I thought the the Saints had twelve wins. Yeah. So if the Saints lose and the Seahawks and the Packers win, I think that's fascinating because then we would play either um chicago uh arizona or chicago or the rams uh in that seven slot which either game either team doesn't scare me right now Mm -hmm. uh seahawks should win that game and then we would host maybe a new orleans or six seed uh but if you host new orleans in a rainy game i don't know about drew Brees in the rain i mean we've seen it before it hasn't worked out very well no honestly like with there is very similar team to the rams in a lot of ways like their Mm -hmm. their defense is amazing and alvin kamara is honest honestly on another level obviously you just go off for six touchdowns or whatever and in the the christmas day game against the vikings but um uh, overall they're a very they're a very similar matchup to us as as the rams and especially yeah like in a wet environment and if we're able to get some pressure on drew Brees too he's not a mobile quarterback Mm-mm. i like that matchup i like the saints matchup in general yeah uh, i, so I, do I too. want that i want that in the divisional round just give us a shot in the um the championship game the mm-hmm. nfc championship so i think whatever gets us a matchup whether it's home or away obviously home is nice but even in a dome yep um I like that. Yep. I, I That's our preferred divisional matchup at this point, mm-hmm. I would say. Like, I think the Packers, especially in Green Bay, is a worse matchup for us than the Saints. Um, but, I mean, if, if we get the Packers at home, I think that's a toss-up game. Like, mm-hmm. I, think, I think I I think it's it's literally like 50-50. Um, just depends what, what teams show up that day. Um, and Aaron Rodgers, I mean, he's been in MVP form all he's, year. I mean, he's, he's been fantastic. He is the, he is the MVP he is. this year, yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, but I, I mean, I like our defense way better than Packers. So, 
there's, I mean, there's a little bit of trade-off there. And obviously if we're at home, I think there's some advantage there as well, even if there's no crowd. So it's fascinating though. I mean, the AFC, we're not even touching on that, but that's a nightmare. Oh Oh, my God. God. I don't even (laughs) want to talk about it because the dolphins are my AFC team. I just hope that they win. And then they have a tough matchup though. Buffalo bills, but they have nothing to play for the bills. They do. Well, they, they can play well, with the two the seed, seed, I guess. The, the two seed, right. the Buffalo. I mean, but I mean, really though, like the two, the three, kind of similar because all the teams, five, six, and seven are similar from the AFC. Right. Yeah. The, the way that they change the playoffs makes it re- really fascinating this year for sure. I think it's, I, I didn't, I didn't like it at first, but I think it's a good change. Um, it makes, it makes vying for that one seed so important right because mm-hmm. you get that first round by and it's only one team instead of two in in the past so we'll see what happens it's gonna be fascinating week 17 and and you know on that note we obviously have a matchup against the niners and for any of this to matter you know all the dream scenarios <laughs> right. we, have to beat, we have to beat the niners who we hate and maybe we're just taking that for granted right now um mainly because of how injured they are obviously garoppolo has been out he's out for the season He's not going to play. And then Nick Mullins just suffered an injury. Was that in this last game or the week before? Was it, was it I think the it was the week weeks? before. But, yeah. yeah, I mean, C.J. Beathard will be their quarterback. Yes, so C.J. Beathard is going to be starting for them. Um, no Richard Sherman in this game. Uh, no Brandon Ayuk in this game. I think I think Debo Samuel's out for this game as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I said, did I say Trent Williams? No, you didn't. So Trent Williams is out for this game. Um, I said Richard Sherman then. You did, and that's yeah. likely – he thinks that's his last game in San Francisco. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting storyline over the offseason because a lot of folks are speculating whether he might come back to Seattle, especially if we spurn – if we spurn Shaq Griffin, which I think is a decently real scenario based on a, based on his camp like and how much they're going to be asking, he is not an elite corner. Like no. he's he's a barely he's, good. A, he's a barely above average corner, but he's yeah. trying to ask for like sixteen mil a year. Nah, fuck that. We're not paying that. <laughs> There's no way that the Seahawks pay that. Like they pay who they want to pay. There's no way that they pay Shaq Griffin that much money. Mm-hmm. So I see him leaving for free agency. Honestly, I think we signed DJ Reed back. I think yeah. there's and there's honestly a decent shot that we might take a flyer on Quentin Dunbar after his surgery at, for like a low level price. Like I think, I mean, he's going to have to basically sign probably a vet minimum deal. A one year deal. I imagine he'll right. want to sign. Right. Right. Um, and then I think Trey flowers is still under contract, but I would not be um, against us taking, you know, a one or two year. I, I think, I think Sherman would be totally down to sign a one year deal, maybe even a two year deal for like 15 mil. If it's like if it's like a two year fifteen mil deal, two uh, two year maybe like twenty mil. Like I mean, I I would be fine with that. Yeah, we'll see. It's it's a fascinating story, but yeah, the 49ers are without host of players, right? And mm-hmm. they're notable. Very injured. Are Jeff Wilson Jr. Uh, George Kittle's playing, so I mean that's right. obviously dangerous. And then what, yep. like Kendrick Bourne, as far as the receivers, like yeah. it's not—he's giving us problems, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for some reason or one one or another. But, but definitely so injured. No Debo, no yeah. Ayuk, who's been good this year. So it, it's a game you th- you would think we would win. 
we for CJ Beathard to beat us. I mean, Arizona didn't do that. I mean, CJ Beathard completed 13 passes. I mean, three of them for touchdowns, but like that's hardly any passes completed. So we need to make him beat us. We would have to put up a Giants esque performance for us to lose this game. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, which I mean is obviously in the cards, but I think after that Giants game, I like Shaquille Griffin was one of the guys to come out like, yeah, I think we underestimated the Giants. Like we came into that game lax. I'm like, fuck you, dude. Like, what the hell are you doing out there? Like you're a professional football player. Play your ass off every week. Like every game matters. Um, honestly, I'm sorry. I no, it's okay. Shaquille's a likable guy, but like I don't i think it'd be a mistake to resign him especially it's a bonehead thing to say and yeah it's just unlikely that we'll resign him but what do you think is going to happen like a final score like how do you see the game playing out and what is the final score yeah i mean i think i think we got some momentum going man um and so long as we don't come out flat and underestimate them like we we should roll in this game like i think this should be one of our more comfortable wins um they're more injured now than they they were when we played them earlier in the season and we beat them pretty hand handedly in that game and i don't think home and home like you know even this is a away game like that doesn't matter because there's no fans like i don't think that matters that much we should win this game by you know, at least 10, but I'm looking for 14 to 17 points. I mm-hmm. see like a 31 to 14 type victory in this game. If if this offense scores more than like 17 points against us, I think that's disappointing the way that our, that our defense has been playing. Um, and I, I would love to see the offense, you know, take a take a stride forward and I, I want to see 30 plus. Like, I think that would be, that would be a statement going into the playoffs. Um, and it, it, like, like, I mean, different coaches have different philosophies going into week 17, especially if you kind of like have like playing with seating and like, you know, scoreboard watching and all that stuff and whether they're going to rest starters and stuff like Pete Carroll's never been that they're going for it. Like they're, they'll have guys watching those other games, but they're not paying attention to it on the field. Like the, the players are not going to be aware of what's going on with other games. Um, whether it's, it's favorable for the Seahawks or not, they're going to be trying to win this game. And if, if we play to our potential and we're not underestimating the, the Niners, we should come out with a formidable victory. Um, yeah. 31, 31, 14 is my call. What about you, Justin? I have a very similar prediction. The only way I see this being closer than it should is like last time we gave up a bunch of garbage time, irritating points. Right. Um, that was but, like a three score game for right the majority of the, you know, yeah. Um, so like we see, we scoreboard watch and, you know, it's kind of cemented what the results are. I could see us pulling some defensive players like Bobby and Jamal Adams and, et cetera, sure. and you know, 49ers making it like within a touchdown or something, but if, if you ask me to predict a score, 27-13, I would say an overall comfortable victory. It's a very similar prediction to yours. I think yeah. offense hopefully gets a couple good touchdown drives and the defense continues to do what they do. Yeah, I think 30-plus would be, like, preferred, obviously. But, mm-hmm. you know, even if we're scoring 25-plus, Niners are a pretty decent defense. Like I mean, Fred Warner's been fantastic for them. Yeah, 
number one rated linebacker, I think, mm-hmm. from PFF. So, yeah, obviously, uh, obviously they have talent, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Um, but, you know, no Richard Sherman in this game. And um, that this is our not necessarily like get right game, but it's our warm up game for for the playoffs like we we have to show more on the offensive side of the ball in the playoffs. And I think, um, I think we should, this is, this is good practice for that. So um, I don't necessarily want to call it 49ers practice. Um, I'm not at that <laughs> point yet, but you know, it's, it's a good, it's a good, um, it's a good tester game for a, a lot of the things that we're asking for from the offense. So hopefully we see that. And last time against the 49ers, DK Metcalf Metcalf went for 12 for 161. So I want I want something like that. I yeah, mean, no and Sherman, Sherman Sherman wasn't in that game either, I don't think. So like right. yeah. I, I mean we should be expecting 10 plus targets to DK in this game. Mm-hmm. Assuming that everyone plays for the full game. Again, you know, we'll see what happens. But I don't think that they'll they'll pull starters before the fourth quarter as long as it's somewhat of a close game. So correct. All right. Well, I think that mostly wraps up most of our Seahawks talk. Um, if there's anything else that you want to touch on, Justin, I'm obviously willing to talk about it, but I think we, we covered a lot. Um, so obviously thrilled about the Seahawks being NFC West champions. Um, whether or not that means a lot for the playoff picture is another thing, you know, in, in a COVID ridden year when, like home and home again doesn't really matter that much but to be division champs again is great first time since 2016 we haven't tasted that in a few years and um it's it's to to be on the edge possibly and like have a chance at a one seed is well worth it going into Mm -hmm. this week 17 so um everything to play for here going into week 17 but before we wrap this episode we do have some pro dogs to touch on as we do in most episodes here and you know pretty pretty decent week for pro dogs we've had some quiet weeks you know in recent weeks but um there's there's some guys that filled the stat sheet for sure i'll start it off here um and on the defensive side of the ball we've talked about him all year possibly the best safety in the league he's the highest paid right now as far as safety goes and Jamal Adams probably going to have something to say about that here in the coming months, but Buda Baker again, nine tackles, one tackle for loss and his impact goes further than that though. I mean, he's flying around everywhere. And if I'm an honest man and maybe I'm just wearing purple tinted sunglasses right now, but I would rather have Buda Baker on my team than Jamal Adams. I just think he impacts the game from a safety perspective more than Jamal Adams does. Um, but you know, nonetheless, we're, we're dealt the cards that were dealt and we have, we have Jamal Adams on our team and he's obviously a fantastic football player. Uh, we just have to utilize him the right ways, but while we're talking pro dogs here, Buda Baker had a, an excellent, excellent week. Um, albeit in a loss to the Niners, but nine tackles and one, one tackle for loss. You want to talk about Shaq Thompson? Yeah. Shaq Thompson, who, um, as we talked about my Husky Mount Rushmore just makes it on as my, my Husky Mount Rushmore is a little bit more narrow than yours and Sam's. Um, I like that. I like that pick dude. Like, I mean, uh, he's, he's, I mean, he was excellent. 
nine tackles for the Carolina Panthers in their 20 to 13 win, which led the team one and a half tackles for loss. I mean, Shaq Thompson, I mean, ever since Keekley left, I mean, he's kind of their tenured linebacker and it's been really good for them yeah. this year. And so watching him fly around and make plays is really cool to see. Yeah, for sure. And he, he's always just been a playmaker, right? Similar to Buda mm-hmm. Baker in that, in that instance, you know, like he's just, he flies to the ball and tends to show up and you know, those, those TFLs just are so valuable. And that's something that Shaq Thompson's just so, so reliable. Like he tends to have at least one of those, if not two of them a game. So Shaq Thompson, again, showing out for, for the Panthers. They've had a, they've had a rough year, but he's being well-paid and well-compensated for his efforts on down he in, is. down in Carolina and down in Charlotte. So um, I think, I think, uh, if if McCaffrey is healthy this year, they're probably like a like they're probably fighting for a wild card spot. I think this year, um, but he's obviously been unhealthy for the vast majority of the year. So another guy, Drew Sample. We've talked about him a little bit before, but he scored his first NFL touchdown this last week. Um, so congratulations to Drew. Um, emulates Will Disley in a lot of ways. Like I see them as very like players um, and, you know, kind of a blocking first tight end, but definitely can get it, get it going in, in the receiving category as well and has better hands they prob- than they probably get credit for. So Drew Sample finally, finally getting into the end zone for the first time um, in, in the NFL. So, so good for him. Nick Harris also, uh, we mentioned him last week as well, filled in at right guard, actually started at right guard this week for an injured player. I don't know who the Browns starting right guard is, but now it's Nick Harris. So that's what I care about. And obviously good to see a Husky that, um, was, you know, kind of overcame all odds and start started his freshman year against Alabama in in a uh, semifinal game for for the national championship, and obviously has grown so much since then. And uh, really, really cool to see him in in the NFL and getting some playing time. Do you remember Absolutely. Corey? Do you remember Corey Littleton a little bit? Like while we a were little in bit. I mean, I watched the Huskies before I was at school, obviously, but yeah, yeah. I mean still around led the team what the Raiders with the tackles with nine um over the weekend and yeah. a heartbreaking loss to the Dolphins yeah. I mean talk about a choke job <laughs> uh cool Yikes. to see him out there making plays against um I, I think another Husky might have got the better of him which we'll get to in a second but right I mean cool to see him in the league still I mean he was before my time in school and is still around so awesome career to see and cool to see him doing well yeah yeah and yeah, Littleton's definitely one of those guys that was probably underappreciated as a Husky. Kind of showed out his last year um, at on Montlake, but um, has really, you know, solidified himself as a solid NFL contributor on a team and been a solid linebacker for for the the Raiders now, but the Rams previously. And mm-hmm. um, I think he even made a Pro Bowl at one point. I don't remember, but like he's turned into a pretty damn good player. So. Um, speaking of Rams, like I just said, Greg Gaines had his, has, I think, I think this might've been his first sack in the NFL. If, if not, it it was one of his first and he had a sack against, against Russell Wilson. So 
Um, I think it was one of those ones that Russ kind of climbed in the pocket and ran right into a fat dude. Um, and he's that done fat, that a couple of times. That fat dude ended up being Greg Gaines. So good for good for Greg Gaines. Love Greg Gaines. Hate that he's on the Rams, but he was one of my my favorite guys on the defense. You know, the, the last couple of years that he was on the team. So good to see him doing well for the Rams. Uh, let's Our boy. Let's let's talk about Dante before we talk about okay. Miles. <laughs> obviously, Miles is is the showboater for for this year for this week. But um, Dante Pettis obviously, you know, made his made his debut for the Giants. Uh, had kind of fell out of favor for the Niners earlier in this year and got picked up by the Giants and has been inactive until this last week. So it was good to see him back on the field. Ended up with a couple of receptions for 33 yards. One of them was for like 20 yards. So good to see him, you know, getting some playing time. And if, you know, things go the right way, he might end up playing a playoff game. So we'll see what happens for the Giants. But yeah, all stars align for for this next guy. And I'll let you take the reins on this, on this Justin, because I think he played he played running back your full collegiate career. Uh, he might've, he it might've been one year. He was a sophomore, I think whenever you were a freshman. Right. Yeah. I don't think he was around or no other way around. I think, I, yeah, were, I think you were a sophomore when he was a freshman. Yeah. I don't think he was around when I started, but yeah, I mean, miles Gaston, 169 yards total, two touchdowns, 87 of them rushing had that long receiving touchdown that I don't know how the Raiders let him get that free, but he did. That was ridiculous. And went to the house. So, I mean, what a performance from him and arguably the MVP of that game to send the dolphins into, you know, a playoff clinching game against the bills, because if they lose that game, they're in a terrible position. So man, what a performance. And, you know, you, you misspoke uh, when you said player of the season instead of player of the week, but, I mean, he's been the player of the season for pro dogs and almost for the Dolphins. I mean, going into the season, they had Jordan Howard, they had Matt Breida, which one of them is going to take over the running back role. Surprise week one, it's Miles Gaskin, the short seventh rounder. And right. uh, it's been awesome. This and season. who's backing him up? I know, Salvan Ahmed too. Having, I mean, when he's when his name has been called, he's been good too. Yeah. So, and so going into the next season, I wouldn't be surprised if they're one, two for the Dolphins. Let's go Dolphins, man. I'm all for it. Like Dolphins Seahawks matchup in the Super Bowl. Obviously, cheer for the Seahawks, but like <laughs> that's my dream scenario right there. So obviously, uh, it's it's awesome to see Miles flourishing in the NFL. Like we we knew that he had all the talent in the world to make something like this happen. He just had to get in the op- the opportunity and he's found a home down in Miami. It's not the first place that I would have picked for him, but um you know, I'm glad that it's an AFC team and not an NFC team. And it's about as far away from the Seahawks geographically as you can get. So um, if it's not going to be the Seahawks, I'd rather it be, you know, a team far away that doesn't have much impact on on the Hawks playoff chances and success. From what we've seen, a great coach, too. I mean, everyone's seeing Brian Flores to play awesome. for Brian Flores. I mean, yeah. the players seem to love him. Even Tua getting yanked every game, but he doesn't seem to hate him either. So. No, I mean, he, but, Tua's a rookie, man. I mean, he's, yeah. he's a young player, and, you know, Fitzpatrick is is about as veteran as they Frusty get. Rusty vet. 
yeah, about as veteran as they get. And if Flores thinks that he needs a veteran in a certain situation, the team seems to get behind him and totally trust that. So credit Brian Flores, but also credit, you know, both Tua and Fitzpatrick for setting their egos aside and doing what's best for the team. They're just a super likable team. I really hope the Dolphins make the playoffs. Um, they're obviously not going to win the AFC East. The Bills have already wrapped that up, but they have a chance to, you know, go on a run here. And they certainly have the defense to do it. It's just whether their offense can put enough drives together to beat some some of these playoff teams. We'll see what happens. Um, I think that probably mostly wraps it up, Justin. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's been – we had a lot to talk about today. Obviously, it, heavily Seahawk-oriented. Um, I will say that there's a lot of Husky news that Sam and I will talk about on the next episode that we get a chance to chance to record. Got a lot of, a lot of, a lot of guys coming back this year and – 2021 shaping up to be possibly a pretty special year on Montlake. So um, we'll, we'll definitely talk about that in the next episode. So there's a little teaser for you guys, but as always uh, we appreciate the support. So thanks for listening folks. Um, Justin, why don't you shut out your, your podcast, your EPL podcast. I know you guys just recorded an episode earlier today as we're recording on a Tuesday or I guess, sorry, it was released today on, on a Tuesday recorded on Monday. Um, but yeah, shout out your shout out your podcast. Go ahead. So after you follow and subscribe to Emerald City Fandom, go over and search for Over the Top EPL. We're an English Premier League podcast, cover all things uh, big soccer news over in England. Uh, right now, after Christmas time, is their busiest time of the year where they have game after game after game. Boxing so it's day, like man. Boxing Day matches. They have ten straight days of matches. Connor, I just saw your text. Uh, before this episode where you mentioned Arsenal were wearing their bloodstained jerseys. That was what uh, you were wearing in our last uh, recording, I think. That is true. Um, ever since I, I have single-handedly turned Arsenal season around, they were <laughs> doing terrible before I wore that jersey, and they are 2-0 since then. How about that? Yeah, yeah had another big win today. So, uh, What I'm going to leave you with, Connor, is a trivia question. Okay. Yeah, please. How many teams has Ryan Fitzpatrick suited up for? Ooh, holy shit. Okay. Wow. Like as journeyman as they get. So 10? No, eight. I mean, that's almost a third of the league though. I... It's close. You're close. The Rams, the Bengals, the Bills. Uh, you probably remember it most on the Bills coming to fruition. Yeah, but. Yep. Uh, the Bills, then the Titans, the Texans, the Jets, the Bucks, and the Dolphins. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, what about, a journeyman. About as journeyman as of an NFL career as you can have at quarterback, but he's obviously, I mean, he's gotten starting playing time, I think, with all those teams at one point or another. So. Right. Well, the only one not was the Rams, but I mean, he had a short backup period as the Rams, but that mm-hmm. wasn't very long, but yeah, with every other team, he's got some starting roles, which is crazy. Yeah. As so, like a journeyman quarterback too. Right. Right. A guy that went to Harvard and, you know, got to root for a guy like that. He's just, he's, he's, he's super fun. I always love his like post-game interviews after, after a win, he's always got, you know, ridiculous, clothes on and stuff like that um you know 
Hawaiian shirt and some sunglasses. He was dressed like Conor McGregor one time, I think, oh, after yeah. a after the Buccaneers. Yeah, he was yeah. when he was with the Bucks. So just a likable guy. Again, like I say, my, these Miami Dolphins are just fun. And um, I, it, if I were to root for any other team in the NFL, even if the even if like I wasn't so Husky centric and you know set on that Husky backfield, like the Dolphins are just a fun team to watch this year. And um, like like I like both Justin and I said, Brian Flores is a is an up and coming coach and. Uh, you know, wish, wish the best for, for their future. And hopefully they make a playoff run here in week 17 and are able to come out on top against the bills and we'll see what happens. You know, you just get to the tournament and you never know what happens. So we'll see, but yeah, I think that's going to call it a wrap on, on episode 18 guys. Uh, as Justin said, subscribe and follow if you haven't already. And um, obviously leave us a message via that anchor link anchor link in our description um but obviously until next time go hawks and go dogs and obviously always go dogs <laughs>